panel, Opening Doors and Empowering Tales. That's going to be facilitated by um, Eleanor McAvoy, who is the CEO of Budget Energy and who's also a dragon on Dragon's Den. Eleanor. is Carlin McHenry, MD of the HR Suite, HR and Employment Law Expert. My very own Chief Executive, Julie Cinnamon, CEO of Enterprise Ireland. Camilla Beglin, Global Irish Network Member. And finally, Catherine Maroney, Head of Business Banking with AIB. Thank you. Right, good morning everybody and before we start I want everybody up off their seats. The energy in this room has gone flat, up, energy, energy, energy. Now you can sit down again. Awake, please. Okay, I was asked to do this last night um, because poor Nora Casey isn't here so you get another dragon to replace one. This session I'm going to introduce my girls here. I have three C's and a Julie, that's how I chose to remember it. Um, I'm going to get them to tell you a little bit about themselves. Um, then I'm going to ask them some pertinent questions that I still have to make my mind up on and then guide this over to you. So remember this, it's all about opportunity. You have a chance in this room today to ask those questions you always wanted to know the answer to. If you don't ask now, forever hold your peace. Okay, we start. First of all, I have Caroline here beside me. Caroline, I'm giving a, a brief synopsis if I'm wrong, tell me. Caroline spent years in HR working for various organizations and now Caroline runs her own HR support system. And the nice thing about it is we were talking about technology earlier. Because of technology, Caroline can live here in Tralee and also support her business in Derry or in Dublin even. Yep. Then we have the amazing Julie Simmons. I love your name, Cinnamon. But it's spelled with an S instead of a C. Julie is one of those people that I totally admire because not only is Julie a CEO, but Julie had to actually get a job as a CEO. She actually was interviewed, whereas I'm self-appointed. So I, hope I take my hat off to you. Um, and then we have, hang on, we're on another C and I now have to check. Oh, Camilla. Camilla is a consultant, is that a good description? And she does that really exciting thing where she lives in Berlin and she services markets in America and Asia. Again, we're sounding very exotic. And last but not least, we have a banker at the end. We have Catherine. And Catherine's experience was in corporate banking with AIB. Um, and we're going to come to Catherine in a minute um, about this whole myth that I would describe it as, that banks somehow don't give money to women because they're women. Personally, I completely disagree with that. I've never had a problem. Um, so can we start with you, Catherine, in terms of, tell us a little bit about you know, your time in corporate banking, what it's been like now in terms of the past and how it's changed, and then can you finish on that topic about women and funding, please? Yeah, sure. Um, hi everybody, um, 
I suppose I'll, I'll try and condense that because um, I've, I've been in banking for a very long time. Uh, but if, if I try to connect the, the, the corporate banking experience early on in my career with, with today and, and women in business and access to, um, to finance, um, and I'm going to link it back to something the Minister said earlier, partly confidence, partly cash, partly accessibility. When I started in corporate banking, um, there were very few women there. Uh, and sometimes I think, was that just the way history and fate, you know, way back when I started, I was working with women who were telling me about a thing called the marriage bar. So once, once you started work, you, you, you could work until you got married and then you couldn't work. Um, and, you know, I always took the approach that there was nothing facetious um, intended in that. But our role as leaders was to change those kind of things. It wasn't to moan or groan, but to point them out and, and to point out the inequities and to keep pushing forward. And as, as one guy, a wonderful guy I worked with, said, never pull the ladder up behind you. I think that's really important as, 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 as business leaders. So I was very lucky. I worked for, with some incredible people. And just an example of what you're saying, um, when I started very early on, I got exposure to... Uh, financing uh, acquisitions and taking companies public into, onto the stock market, which was very vibrant at the time. And also, probably my favorite role, taking companies private. So, so business people who were working in a business and saying, I want to own this business, very like yourself, and taking a private and funding it and getting to know them really well. And they were all passionate about their business and they firmly believed in what they were doing. And if you roll that forward to today, we in AIB have just finished a piece of work on, uh, on female entrepreneurship and intrapreneurs, entrepreneurs in businesses, and, and indeed professional women. And I think the thing to share with you, because hopefully this is of help and benefit to you, um, what the women were telling us, what we're trying to do in our business, make sure everything that we're doing is relevant to the market and relevant to the customers. And they were telling us a couple of things that we have to take, back to my point about take ownership for change, rather than, 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 than trying to just say, well, it's there and we, we can't do anything about it. What women were saying to us was, um, first of all, the insight that they were a little bit reticent to approach a bank. So they tend to go for their early sources of funding to family and friends, which is great. Um, but they're putting pressures on themselves in their social environment as well as their business environment. The second thing which I found fascinating was they don't always ask for everything they need. They don't ask so they try to pull it back and they'll say, I'll, I'll take a little less than I really need and I'll manage. Instead of being expansive and saying, no, I'm going for everything I need and maybe some for, for flexibility. And the third thing which we have to take full ownership for is being willing to approach your bank and approach them before you need the finance. Get to know them. Go in, get to know your, your local banker so that they know you and they know your business. And they, they, you know, we love to hear from people saying, I just want you to know about my business and then coming back and, and looking for finance. But the critical thing I think to remember is we're no different than any other supplier um, and, and I think recent history tells us that. Um, it's really important to you. You wouldn't leave yourself short of stock. You wouldn't leave yourself short of manufacturing components. You won't leave yourself short of talent, nor should you leave yourself short of finance. Very and good. We're very privileged. Yeah. Like you, you're our customers, so yeah. you know we need to change the dialogue. To we are actually very privileged to, to serve the customers yeah, that we have. So we're trying to. We're, 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 you'll see us developing a sort of a focus on female entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, and trying to, to bring that sort of making ourselves more accessible. I'll just give you one one statistic because I think it's really important. Um, we approve 94 out of every 100 loans, and people always gasp when you say that because you hear about the ones that you didn't do. But, but, but what that tells you is the really important thing is to ask. 
and, and ask for everything you need, not some of it. Um, because if you're coming in with a plan, we want to know you're well financed. So the critical thing is ask and have that dialogue and, and let us have that opportunity and help you to access others. There's fabulous work been done by the Leos, by Enterprise Ireland, by the likes of MFI, and we're happy to sit alongside other providers of finance to make sure companies are well capitalised. Thanks, Catherine. Now I hope that helps dispel the myth about women and banking. Um, is Carl Bulger still in the room? Yep. Where are you? Carl Bulger um, was a banker that I had with Ulster Bank oh, it's 10 years ago or more, and she was my corporate banker. Uh, and this is the difference in women in banking. Now, we got on very well and we never had any issues, but I was a finalist in the Ernest & Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2004, and Carl asked me what I was wearing. She also asked me, had I any diamonds? And I said, well, no, not really suitable for TV. So Carl organized with Applebee's in Dublin to have me fitted with diamonds for the night for the Entrepreneur of the Year. So there's extra advantages with bankers who are female. Thank you, Carl. Julie, can I come to you next in terms of, and I don't, I'm not, can we make this point here? I am not a believer that being a woman in business is a disadvantage. In actual fact, I always use it to my advantage. And I was always underestimated every time I went into a meeting. Um, and as the minister will know, if you don't mind me saying, the best position you can be in from an advantage point of view is when you're being underestimated. And men constantly underestimate women. Now, actually, the next generation are not going to get it as easy. And that's how I view it. So I would describe myself as a business person who happens to be a woman as opposed to a woman who happens to be in business. So, Julie, will you take up the baton from the point of view of Enterprise Ireland and the experience of women coming from for versus how you would see a man would approach it. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, we probably for the last five years have been focusing very specifically on female entrepreneurs. And as the Minister mentioned in her speech earlier, up until 2011, only 7% of the projects we were supporting had a female in the team. Now, there's roughly two or three people as part of that team. So that means out of 250 entrepreneurs, seven, seven of those were women. So it actually is not even 7%, but one in a hundred, or seven out of a hundred projects had a woman in the team and uh, in fact uh, Richard Burton for the last five years it has been a passion of his and something a lot of people assume because I'm a female entrepreneur or female CEO that I have been really driving this but it certainly has been driven from government firstly and, and within Enterprise Ireland and Sarita was mentioned earlier uh, heads up the female entrepreneurship unit within Enterprise Ireland and so it has and the first thing we did was looked at what are the problems and we've, we've heard about them earlier and one of them was confidence, ambition, access to finance, the networking uh, issue which we've talked about earlier. So we then set up a female only fund for the first time and um, we didn't know what the demand would be given that we were only supporting seven females a year. And interestingly, we got a fantastic group of projects in. I have to say, we had said we were giving, and it was a feasibility study fund first to be followed with funding for the projects. And not one of the females who applied for the funding applied for the amount we said we were giving. 
right, it was a grant, but not one uh, applied for the amount. And I sat in the panel and with each one, and certainly what we have discovered in Enterprise Ireland is women approaching funding, and I think Catherine has talked about it from a banking perspective, do it in a different way. And in, you know, in, in my experience, and I have spent lots of time looking at this and comparing the two, uh, I think women probably deal with failure worse than men. So people will talk about going for an interview and if a woman sees that she has you know, nine out of the ten requirements, right. she'll say, oh, I don't have that. A man will have five out of ten, generalizing Jerry, uh, and he'll say, this job was made for me, and then give her the badge. Right. Now, the impact of that on projects is uh, the females that we, we support, typically they have less ambition in the project that they put forward initially, and they will, they will overachieve on whatever they set as that level of ambition. Typically, the, the male-led project will have a higher level of ambition. They will probably underachieve, but they'll actually achieve more than the female projects when you look at them in, in total. And one of the big things that we have been doing over the, the last three to four years is working then with female entrepreneurs in trying to, to grow their ambition and trying to, to grow the scale of the companies. And Paula Simons, for example, is talking later this afternoon. She's run Going for Growth for female successful entrepreneurs are helping the next generation coming forward. So really there has been quite a difference. Uh, feedback we got that uh, Enterprise Ireland uh, funding, uh, you know, uh, literature was written by men for men. So we had to look at how we actually even presented what we were doing. Now the good news was we, as you know, we, last year we supported 61 females. 22 of those were through the High Potential Startup Project, which is really fantastic, and that compares with a global 8% figure, so really good results. And so you, you can, if you actually work out on things like this today and, and highlighting role models, and uh, Mary McAuliffe has talked about some fantastic role models from 100 years ago, and the people in this room, it's not just the projects that they are working in that are impacting on the economy, but the impact of that on future generations, for people to see, and you know, women actually really more to female uh, female role models because they can relate to that they know these people are actually dealing with the gender issues and then still able to achieve whatever they achieve and therefore everybody in this room who has either started their own business or are working in a company and really achieving are, are trailblazers for the future and really important in terms of encouraging the next generation. Thank you Julie. Um, Camilla, would you give us a view from your perspective? You've a, a long, distinguished career, and now you're a, an advisor. So, what's the difference between advising men and advising women in a business perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of what Julie and Catherine have said has a lot of resonances for, for me in terms of what I hear from women in the coaching room. So, I deal with the confidence issue and the ambition issue a lot. Um, and there are for sure differences, you know, and Julie, I could have said exactly what Julie said, you know, so this is, this is what I see. Um, I have the privilege, if you like, through my work of um, accompanying a lot of women on a little piece of their overall journey, their, their life and their work journey. Um, and, you know, if I was to answer your very specific question, and I would say, 
women are better at taking advice, so women are very open to taking advice. I tend to find that women make big leaps in coaching uh, much more quickly than men do. There's, there, and, and, and I don't like to generalize, okay, so, but for, for the sake of making the point, I'll generalize. Um, I, you know, I can see more defensive behaviors uh, in men, um, possibly because you know, they, they, they see that they have more to lose, um, but, but women do tend to take advice very easily. Now, what I would say is that, you know, for me, that's the difference between coaching and mentoring. Coaching tends to be about um, allowing people to, to recognize what it is that they're doing themselves to stop themselves, achieve their potential. Whereas mentoring is probably more on the advice side, you know, in terms of, you know, telling people what they could do or what they should do in particular circumstances. What I see quite a lot, and I see this across with women in all geographies, so this is not specific to Irish women and it's not specific to European women. I see a tendency for women to have um, one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake, um, or three feet on the accelerator and half a foot on the brake. And the problem with that is that, you know, if you do that in a car, and apparently there's a reason why we have to use one leg for both of those pedals is because you're not supposed to do that in a car. But if you did do it in a car, you get what's called brake overdrive, which means that the brake takes priority. Right. And so the engine will burn out or the car will stop. And, and the reason I like that as a metaphor for what I see with women in organizations is that's exactly what I see. I see women's career plateauing way before it should, so not reaching the sort of levels that they should reach, um, or not doing something that they could have done in terms of leaving an organization and setting up a business. Uh, or they simply run out of en energy because they've got this sense of the one, one foot on the brake. They run out of energy to do new things, either to push forward within their own organization or to leave and do something different. Um, so a lot of the work I do is around trying to figure out what is that break, you know, what is that foot on the break about? Um, and often women don't recognize it themselves. They don't even realize that they're doing it. Um, and for, for each person it's different, you know, so it can be about your self-talk, you know, what is it that you're telling yourself about yourself? What is it that you're telling yourself about the world? Um, the American Marines say that the, the difference between the people who actually make it into the Corps and the people who don't is not about technical skills because at that level they can all shoot and they can all run and they can all do all of the things that they need to do. It is their self-talk because if they drop somebody in behind enemy lines, you know, on their own, they don't need to be saying, oh gosh, this is awful, I'm surrounded by the enemy, what am I going to do? You know, somebody else could do this better, you know, so, so self-talk is really important, what it is that people are telling them themselves about themselves, the story they're telling themselves about themselves. The other thing women do, in my experience, is they make big assumptions about what another set of circumstances could be. So they'll say something to me like, well, Camilla, I don't really know if I want to make it to the upper echelons of this organization because you know, I'm going to have to work much harder and, you know, it's going to be even more pressure and then I'm going to be able to get even less balance than I have now. And just even exposing that to some scrutiny to say, well, you know, what would more work look like? And then they say, well, actually, I couldn't really do much more work. <laughs> and then you say, well, okay, so what would more pressure look like? And then they say, well, no. I can't imagine. I'm, you know, I'm already under so much pressure. And they say, well, what would be the upside of doing it? I say, well, I suppose I'd have more people. You know, I'd have more access to resources. 
um, and I probably could make more decisions. And, and so the, the issue is that people over, consistently overestimate the downside risk of a change. And this is the thing, they underestimate the downside risk of remaining where they are. And that's huge. That's interesting. That's really interesting. And by the way, if you apply that to business, if you don't keep going forward, you stop and then you go backwards. Caroline, from a HR perspective, which I already told you earlier, I absolutely hate what I know it's necessary to like. Um, and this is why people like you are fantastic, because you can take it away. So tell me what it's been like from you, for you to come out of a HR employed environment and now you're the entrepreneur, you're running your own business. Give us a little feed for that. Um, I suppose I was very lucky to work in large organisations that really kind of, I suppose, encouraged you to be the best of what you could be and, you know, try and kind of, I suppose, you know, maximise your potential through education, learning, networking, all that kind of good stuff. And I suppose I felt that if I wanted to stay living in Kerry, um, basically being self-employed was probably a really good opportunity to do that. Um, so I set up the business seven years ago and for me the biggest shock to the system to be honest was um, I was part of a large management team in the previous organisation I was with so I was part of a board but there was other members on the board so you had a sounding board, you know you had people to bounce ideas off, you had people to celebrate success with and kind of, you know, kind of look back on the mistakes and say, gee, we better not do that again. And then all of a sudden you're self-employed, you're the finance person, sales and marketing person, you know, you're, you're it. And I suppose I found that element, especially in the early days of being self-employed, a lonely journey. And um, I suppose a year in then I would have um, reached out to the local enterprise office, um, reached out to um, going for growth at the time, the initiative that Enterprise Ireland support. Um, and that to me was huge because what it did for me was it gave me like-minded people who were in the same boat. It gave me role models because you had um, women who had travelled this journey already and basically that made it so much easier and that was a huge thing. And the big thing also is you're held accountable to other people to kind of say, but what's stopping you? You know, so why aren't you um, growing faster? Why, you know, what are your sales targets? Because we all know what's measured gets done, what measured gets improved. I'm a massive believer in KPIs and the balanced scorecard. Um, and to me, that was really, really good. Now we're looking, we're at a stage that, you know, I have a, a full team of people who um, make the journey so much easier. But I think you still need people and support structures around you. Because let's be honest, I'm really good. At, I love HR. That's my forte. I'm not really good at finance. I'm not really good at sales and marketing. So it's really important to have people on your team who are really good at that you know, area and to still have mentors and support structures. I read a lot. You know, I go to conferences like this to take time out to work on your business rather than just work in your business. We're doing a business development day tomorrow with the team in the office. We have an external person coming in to do that with us. Um, so I'm all about you don't need to be good at everything. You just need to know what you're not good at and get people to support you in that. And that's been, I suppose, really good. Caroline's an example of exactly what it takes to succeed. Mm. You've picked up on a couple of things. I need external help, I'll go and ask. Mm. You've picked up on I'm not good at everything, so what I do is I do what I'm good, at, I'm good at. And then, because I actually think in a business it's more important to know your weaknesses than your strengths. Mm. 
Um, I'm really impressed with how on your game you are. That's, that's really good. For those of you who don't know me, I suppose I better tell you a little bit about myself. Um, my most recent claim to fame is I'm a dragon on Dragon's Den. And I don't say that loosely. It took me a very long time to make up my mind if I was actually pre prepared to give away that much of my personal privacy. And I found that a little bit of a struggle. And then I had a conversation with one of my brothers who's um, in psychology. And he said, Eleanor, your problem is you don't take personal criticism very well. I said, really? He said, no, you don't. And you're afraid that somebody's going to say something negative about you. And you know what? Once I addressed that, I forgot all about it. And so far, so good. I haven't heard anything negative. But that aside, um, I have built and sold two previous businesses. Um, one was called Pembroke Distributors, which I sold in 2001. And I'll never forget that sale, even though the check was a lot, a lot smaller. Because the joy of actually saying, I started something from scratch. And somebody's handing me money that's made it valuable. I then had a company called Phone Card Warehouse, which Carl Bulger was my bank manager during my time in Ulster Bank. Um, which was sold in 2000, actually on the 6th of the 6th, 2006. And then I took some time out, and uh, that was a big mistake. I'm no good at doing nothing. I've discovered that. I was awful at it. And then I decided, I've got some money. What am I going to do? Electricity had opened up a bit like what happened with the aviation industry. And I said, if Michael O'Leary can make some money with Ryanair, maybe I can do something with electricity. So off I went to Northern Ireland because I felt like I'd like a change of jurisdiction as well. Asked for an energy license. Lo and behold, got it. Um, in 2010, took our first customer in July 2011. Oh, and I must say, took on a complete team of people who had never been in energy before. The reason I did that is everybody I interviewed told me why I couldn't do what I was going to do. So I said, we're all going to have to do it the hard way. As a result of it, I've got a great team of people who are completely passionate, and that is the word for success, passion. Without passion, no one succeeds. So we now have 65,000 customers and growing. We have a turnover this year of about 41 million. I have a license for the southern market and the good news is B Energy, which is what we're going to be in Southern Ireland, is coming to this market before the end of the year. So girls, you can all become my customers. I'm probably deviating from the brief I got, but I always do that. I find what the girls have said up here really interesting because do you know the tools that we now have in this room? We've recognized the things that women do that are self-destructive. We've recognized, I describe it as, and I am not sexist by any means, this is just real. Men completely overestimate their abilities, and it gets them by in this world. Women naturally underestimate theirs. So somewhere in the middle we have to meet, and we can change it. It took me years to learn this stuff, by the way. You're getting this up front. You're getting this early. Um, there are a couple of women in this room I want to acknowledge because I do mentor some women and help some women. Let's go back to the definition of an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is somebody who takes an idea and turns it into a business. That takes bravery, that takes guts, and also takes some insanity. It works in business, a little bit of insanity. I want to acknowledge Sarah O'Connor of Cool Bean, who I know you're going to hear from later. 
um, through the Entrepreneur of the Year program. Sarah ran the Entrepreneur of the Year program absolutely brilliantly. By the way, I was a finalist twice and they never gave me a gong. I'm still not over it. I sit on the board and hope I'll come up with a third business and they might give it to me then. Sarah had to take this decision to come out of a really good career, a really interesting job. She was going places and she said, okay, along with the Zelda, I am going to go off and start something in the food business. Now that's courage, that's entrepreneurship. Um, and then we have Girl Crew, Pamela, who didn't tell you that she was an award-winning journalist with the Irish Times, had a conversation with me a year and a half, two years and said, Can, will I still be a journalist? Will I do this? And I said, you know what? If this is really going to work, you've got to jump at some point. Pamela's jumped. Look at the success we have. Now, girls, that's entrepreneurship. There is no cozy, easy way to do this. You've got to take risks. Okay, I don't want to run out of time. I want questions from the audience, for me or for any one of the panel. And I want you to ask us a good questions that helps everybody else in the room. So, hands up. Who's going to start? Uh, where's the mic? You've got it right back here at the back. Hi, everybody. Uh, firstly, thanks a million for your time today. Ladies, everything you've said today has been, uh, has been fantastic. Uh, my name is Denise Doyle. My business is Retail Republic. It is a communications agency aimed specifically at retail businesses. And my question for the panel today is... Uh, Minister Francis, thank you for your time and your great talk. Uh, you cited confidence as a hurdle uh, or an issue that women in business need to recognise and get over. Uh, Catherine, you cited cash as something as well that we need to understand in our business. Um, my issue, uh, my entire career, I was employed for 20 years in marketing for out on my own. My issue has always been around emotional intelligence and the role that that has to play, uh, especially for females in, in the workplace, um, either for entrepreneurship or if you are uh, a female and employed in employment. Um, does any of the panel have any view on emotional intelligence and uh, how it can help women in business? Yeah, I suppose. Obviously, I, as a HR person, I suppose I'm a massive believer in emotional intelligence and now for recruitment, I suppose, for training, for development, for most of what we do as people who are trying to motivate, performance manage, develop people, it's so important that we are trying to focus on emotional intelligence. And for any of you that haven't read Daniel Goldman's book, it's one to, to get and to read following today's session. But definitely, and I think now people, you know, we were talking about technology earlier on, but that element of connection, empathy, um, you know, and I think that's a huge part of people wanting to do, people do business with people and people leave businesses generally because the manager isn't connecting with them or developing them or motivating them. So a huge part of success, I think, is Catherine, from a banking perspective, yeah, emotional I, intelligence. I totally, I totally um, endorse everything you, you've said there. The, probably for me, in terms of large teams and leading people, one of the great things about this century, if you like, is the realization that not everybody's motivated in the same way. So uh, as leaders, the really important thing is to listen and observe, and, and that's emotional intelligence, understanding what motivates people. 
So, you know, very, very few people are driven just by remuneration, actually. Um, it becomes a hygiene factor when all other things are equal. So making sure people are satisfied, that they feel they're pushing themselves forward. And back to that point, um, confidence, you know, does come from within. But uh, it was mentioned earlier about um, praising eight times for every time you constructively, even criticism, I think, is a dreadful word, sharing with someone what they need to develop. And uh, I remember a, a guy I worked with years ago said to me very often people's weakness is their strength overplayed. And you think about brilliant people, you know, when they go into overdrive, the weakness that kicks in is the strength overplayed. They're leaning on the wrong competency. So I think as leaders and even as business owners trying to connect with people who will buy from you or who will support you, being able to communicate with other people in their language. And that's what emotional intelligence is about, understanding who you're connecting with and being able to... And that's not manipulation, it's good, it's, it's good collaborative work. Absolutely. It's critical. It can make the difference. You know, you, you meet lots of really bright people, but they don't make the breakthrough. And very often it's the emotional intelligence piece that isn't fully developed. How do you feel about that answer review? Eleanor, can I just add a small um, I think women are, tend to be very good at emotional intelligence, tend to be very good at picking up on what the other person is thinking and listening very well. I also think they don't use it enough. So it's my experience that women tend to see their role in quite a narrow way and they tend to be quite focused, which is great. Um, but I think they could play on a much larger stage. So I think they could engage much more with lots more stakeholders, either internally or externally to their organization. And I think they need to be bolder about doing that and using that strength. Okay. Minister, can I just make a point about emotional intelligence? One of the things I've learned, it's about having the confidence to use your emotional intelligence. Don't just recognize it, don't just be aware of it, but to actually use it and intervene and work from it. And I think it does take some time to get to that point, because I'm not sure we always trust our emotional intelligence as much as we should. So I would have one point about it, it would be to really, you know, to work off it and use it. Thank you. Anybody else got a question for us? Hi. Hi. Well, I'm Maddie Sharma. You'll hear from me later. Um, I want to endorse what Eleanor said, that there are so many experts in the room that you really have to listen and value from what you hear today. But the, ex the panel is so expertise that I just want to uh, ask about investment ready because I work with investors around the world and there's no shortage of investment. There is no shortage of money. The problem is the majority of entrepreneurs, particularly small ones and particularly women, are not investment ready. What would the panel suggest as the ways to become more investment ready? Having the pitch, but it's much more than the business plan. And most people think if I've got a business plan, that's it, I should get the investment. But it's about what is it that makes people investment ready? Thank you. Brilliant question. Um, I got, I got to start with that one. What you have to think about is, first of all, money isn't everything, but it is in business and success is paper thin, it's called a balance sheet. And if you don't like that, you're not going to succeed in business because that's reality. So the first thing you have to look at is, the proposal I'm putting together, is there a market out there for it? 
If there is a market out there for it, how do I identify it? And then how quickly can I grow these numbers? And remember, if you're asking someone to invest their money in your business, then it's up to you to show them clearly that you're committed to this 24-7 and your number one priority is they get return on investment. That is the big picture piece. And then you get the mechanisms right to deliver that. But again, it's passion, it's belief, and it's trust. Don't forget trust. If people don't trust you, they won't do business with you. Don't try and cut corners. Don't try and make it up. And for God's sake, do not over-talk it. When I put um, business plans together, I always exceed my business plan. I never come under. Because if you come under, you've been successful, but in a way, you've always failed. You've also failed. So that is a very, very good point. And back to what Catherine started with, and Julie alluded to as well. When you need money, ask for enough. Because if you go and ask for five million, and three months later you come back and say, oh, well, actually, I need a 10, but I was afraid to ask you, you sound A, incompetent, B, weak, and C, actually, your business plan wasn't right. And it was probably the truth. So ask for what you need. Julie? The other thing that I'd say is, ask for help from people who have done it. So, for example, there are loads of people who have made pitches and are successful, you know, business people are, are, you know, people who have listened to so many pitches and they actually, you know, have very simple questions and a lot of times when I'm dealing with technology entrepreneurs, they're so obsessed with the technology that they forgot to say, why would anybody buy this? What is the problem that it's going to fix? And they, they get, you know, they go into a deep silo in terms of looking at the technology and certainly you know for example one of the things that we do is investor ready panels and that is people a mix between you know VCs you know seed investors banks you know entrepreneurs coming in and people making a pitch to them and they might crawl out at the end of that session but what they have got is really good specific feedback and then they can do it the second time and you always know when you you know if you're going for and you mentioned an interview earlier if you actually you know practice you know you're getting up to do a presentation you actually you know can improve and it's a little bit like the emotional intelligence and confidence actually practice can help to build that confidence mm-hmm. and I think if you're making a serious pitch and it could be for money but it could be getting into a key client actually going through and, and sign checking it with somebody who you trust and there's lots of access to people who will give you that advice and people are very generous with their time in terms of providing that support. Camilla, how do you coach people in, from this position? Um, in terms of being investment ready? Yeah. Um, well, in my previous life as a consultant at PwC, I used to do business plans for people um, back in the original tech boom. Um, so I have quite a bit of experience of, of dealing with teams. And I, I would just, I think, want to reiterate what Julia said. There's loads of advice out there. There's loads of people willing to help. Um, and that's the thing I meant about going out and engaging with people. I, I do see that men go out and talk to a lot more people generally than women do. And, and there's something about us thinking we need to have all the answers or we should have all the answers before we go out, as opposed to going out and asking questions to get the answers. Um, and, being, and, and experimenting. There's something for me about experimenting.
experimenting with kind of small pitches or bigger pitches, you know, before you get to something that's really significant. So I think that's really important. Um, I would, you know, the, the coaching perspective of it for me would be around what's going on within yourself, what's happening for you when you're in that room, you know, when you're in front of that panel, when you're in front of the bank manager, what are you saying to yourself, you know, what do you believe you can do, what do you need or want, how do you assert that, how can you be really clear about it. We do, um, I'd probably be shot if I didn't mention that I lead a leadership program for uh, in the Smurfit School in, in UCD and, and one of the things we talk about is um, just being able to assert what it is that you need or want. It's extraordinarily simple at one level and difficult for people at another level. We go through all sorts of hoops and background ways of trying to get at what we need or want as opposed to just saying it and even the word assertive some people have negative connotations around the word assertive when really it's just about being very clear as to what you need and want so for me in coaching it's around what's going on internally you know what are people saying what's the emotional underpinning of that uh, kind of self-talk and then how do they need to make that explicit so that they can put it aside and then they can really talk about what they what they want Julie, I'm going to ask you a question that I was asked by somebody in this room earlier on, and I actually was a bit grey on the answer, so I'm going to ask you. Um, for in the tech space, which I'm not familiar with, uh, you're at the beginning of investment or maybe second phase. Who is out there to help them put a value on their business so they don't either undersell and give away too many shares too early, or else they're too demanding and therefore don't get the funding? Where, where can they find that kind of help? Well, I suppose in many ways, what you need is a, a market. So that you know, because if you have a few people who are interested in investing in your company, then you have some basis for a market price to be set. And one of the issues that a lot of the technology companies had and still have is. To get to that stage that somebody actually will give you money takes a bit of investment in money in the first place, which is why we introduced three or four years ago the Competitive Start Fund. And that was really 50,000 that we will put in, you put in 5,000, and that's like a big feasibility study. It's competitive, but what it does is gets you to get a little bit of traction to be able to uh, invest. One of the biggest issues we have is putting a, an enterprise Ireland normally invest in convertible preference shares, not setting a price, because actually what is the price? And, but it's only when you have a couple of people who want to invest that you know, but there isn't a science. There isn't, you know, it, it is a very vague piece. And the stronger you are at, you know, covering the bases in terms of your team and what you're going to do and making it sound credible and achievable, but you know, it will end up being the market, and you need to have a couple of people who want to invest to be able to get a, a decent price for it. I think so many entrepreneurs at a very early stage probably, you know, they're undervalued what they have and they take in maybe too much money at that time you know, and, and, you know, and, and if they could just get a little bit further in order to bootstrap and get to a stage where, the, where they will get a decent price for the, for the equity. But Enterprise Ireland is available for those kind of conversations. Well yeah and, and you know th there's lots of people I mean, and we have lots of uh, people who, are, who will provide that mentoring support and advice from the mentor who have actually been involved at the other side of the table mm -hmm. and I would actually say again and tap into those sources. You know, you don't need to have a mentor for 10 days coming in to do a standard mentor program. You can get very specific inputs. 
Okay, uh, one more question just here, please. Yeah. Shut the back. 